Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, it's the final day for Findlay City School students, but it will be a busy summer for district officials behind the scenes to get things ready for fall. We'll discuss with Interim Superintendent Krista Kreitz-Miller. Also this morning, the broadcast industry and Washington lawmakers pushing back against automakers removing AM radio from their vehicles. Families are increasingly turning to natural first aid remedies to treat the bruises and scrapes of summer. But are these treatments effective or even safe? And it's time to get outdoors with June programs and activities from the Hancock Park District. Michelle Rumschlag will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, May 24th, 2023. So this is the big news. I mean, and this is uh, this is big, big stu- big news here. A new study, and this is a study out of the UK, but a new study finds that a morning roll in the hay may be more satisfying than an afternoon delight or a nighttime romp. The best time uh, researchers took data. From 500 men, 500 women between the ages of 18 and 65. So this spans all age uh, age groups, 18 to 65, all adults. And uh, participants rated their enjoyment of, you know, adult activity uh, on a scale of 1 to 10. And so they crunch the numbers and they come up with the best time. The absolute best time is 7.30 a.m. 7.30 7.30 a.m., as it turns out. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, beyond that, 66%, fully two-thirds of those in the study said uh, morning leaven is the most satisfying. Two-thirds. Um, and then in the hour-by-hour breakdown, 11 p.m. was the least popular time. Uh, only 2%. Uh, favored that late at night. So 7.30, the ideal time, 11 p.m., the 11 p.m. hour, the absolute worst. By the way, that's not the only thing that they asked about. Uh, They found that uh, most people focus best at 10 a.m., whether or not we're talking about, you know, a little something-something. Most people crave a snack about 3.30 in the afternoon, and 27% of those in the study uh, started to crave an alcoholic drink at about 6 p.m. And I would imagine that there are some days when that is significantly earlier as well, you know? <laughs> Depending on how your day goes at work. <clears throat> and, of course, whether you've had a little something-something at 7.30 in the morning, I would imagine. There you go. Big, big news. want to make sure that uh, you are uh, aware of all of the... Important stuff this morning. So uh, this is making headlines and apparently uh, started yesterday. Netflix subscribers started to get uh, emails uh, from the company about their new password policy. They've been talking about this for months now, and it is finally here. The days of Netflix subscribers sharing their passwords are coming to an end. Now, what I thought was kind of interesting about this Uh, The story on the Newswire goes like this. Um, The streaming service began emailing customers Tuesday, yesterday, about its new password policy. Netflix said the email will be sent to members of the U.S. who have been sharing their account outside their household. And they can ping your IP address so they know uh, the IP address of your home, the subscriber's home, versus other homes that are outside of your household. And so if you have ever shared your password, you're going to get one of these emails. Subscribers are given two options, either transfer your account to a new membership, uh, or uh, you can share an account with someone outside your household for about $8 a month, which isn't that kind of the price of a Netflix subscription to begin with? I mean, it's not... It's not a bargain uh, or anything. I don't think you're getting a discount. But what I thought was interesting, the company says that subscribers in the same household would still be able to stream 
whenever they're staying at hotels or vacation homes. And I'm thinking, well, how will they know? I mean, how will they know that, um, I mean, it's my wife and I, you know, obviously in, in two people in our household. And uh, if I go somewhere, um, you know, for whatever, occasionally I will travel. My wife and I will travel separately. Um, she'll have a girl's weekend or I'll go off, you know, for something somewhere. And if we're logging in from different places, how will they know that it's me? They just get the uh, IP address. So I don't know exactly how this is going to work, but apparently they have it all figured out. And so they will know. And uh, so anyway, just to let you know that the days of sharing the Netflix passwords are apparently over. Uh, Here's our latest uh, collection of stories regarding artificial intelligence. This seems to be all anyone is buzzing about these days. So... We have uh, actually quite a few stories here regarding uh, artificial intelligence. Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Uh, Researchers with the Bulimia Project have used AI tools to generate (laughs) the ideal man and woman. Uh, They got to thinking, what does artificial intelligence think about Human beauty standards, our society's beauty standards. And again, this is uh, researchers from the Bulimia Project, which um, you know combats the issue of body dysmorphia and eating disorders, so on and so forth. So they want to know, if we're turning our lives over to AI, what does AI think is the ideal beauty image, the ideal image of, of beauty for both men and women? 40% of the images depicted... Forty percent of the images that the AI uh, algorithm came out came up with depicted an unrealistic body. Forty percent women were generally smaller. Men were shaped like bodybuilders. Is the ideal? They're no dad bods. <laughs> AI, uh, the AI bot did not come up with a, a dad bod as the, as the ideal uh, body shape. Um, AI was more likely to show the ideal woman as being blonde with brown eyes and olive skin. Uh, and 47% of the male images had facial hair, either mustache, beard, or both. Kind of interesting. Uh, the researchers go on to say, although young users might be the most impressionable, the pervasive promotion of idealized body types on these platforms also takes its toll on adults, so this is not healthy for anyone. But that's what uh, AI says is our ideal body type. But of course, AI, uh, all it does is basically spit out data that it analyzes from the mountains of data that it has collected. So, if it spits out men and women with unrealistic body types, that's only because that's the input that it's getting from society so it's not reflective on the technology so much as it is society as a whole and in that respect probably not a big surprise that it came up with the results that it did but nonetheless by the way speaking of ai this is kind of interesting um the question being posed here in this story should artificial intelligence handle emergency calls from humans dialing 911 can you imagine I mean, it's one thing to call customer service for, you know, your computer or whatever uh, and end up talking to a computer. It's something else entirely if you call 911 and end up talking to a computer. But a new AI project is making the case for artificial intelligence to handle 911 emergency calls, showing that the computer is actually capable of diagnosing the signs of a stroke over the phone, more capable, in fact, than human emergency call handlers. Now, this is research out of Denmark, um, and apparently they, uh, well, this is what it says. This is what the story says. Scientists in Denmark say the results suggest that AI performs better than human emergency call handlers at determining if someone is in serious medical trouble. Uh, Now, again, they looked at stroke specifically, as I understand it, in this study. 
So, so I don't know if from that you can draw the conclusion that the computer is better at diagnosing serious medical trouble of any kind or whether this would just be limited to stroke. If you're not calling about a stroke, well, you're out of luck. <laughs> computer doesn't know what to do. But anyway, the implementation of this new cost-effective tool can enhance stroke identification by call handlers, ensuring more patients receive appropriate and timely care and improving patient outcomes overall. This is according to Dr. Jonathan Wenstrup of Copenhagen University Hospital, who is the lead author of the study. According to a metric that measured the, productive, uh, the predictive skill of the machine learning technique, the AI tool proved up to 10% more accurate than human experts. Um, the tool was trained using data from the Danish Stroke Registry and over 7,000 stroke-related 911 calls made to the Copenhagen Emergency Medical Services uh, between 2015 and 2020. But again, I don't know whether you can extend, just because you programmed it well uh, to recognize the signs of stroke, does that mean you can extrapolate from that that the AI uh, would be better at you know, diagnosing anything? And you know what's most disturbing uh, to me is the idea, the part of that line there, said this is a cost-effective way of staffing emergency call centers. I don't know. If, I'm, if my life or the life of someone I love depends uh, on that phone call, I'm not sure that I want... I, I'm not all that concerned with its cost-effectiveness. You know what I mean? I don't think that should necessarily be the top priority. But there we are. And... Uh, how about this, real quickly, talking about uh, AI, crazy applications of AI. If you think AI handling 911 calls is, uh, is weird, check this out. A Japanese com- uh, company is using virtual reality to reunite a mother with her deceased child. It is called AI Grief Tech. By using artificially intelligence-powered chats fed with texts and emails from the deceased person, um, the system will let grieving individuals reconnect virtually with their loved ones. The designer of the software says it is meant to be used like a digital Ouija board, not a method of artificially keeping a person alive forever. But that is a very thin distinction. You know what I mean? That's I think there could be a lot of people who are just, mm, no, a digital Ouija board. That's creepy enough, the idea of keeping someone alive forever via AI. You knew it was only a matter of time, though, before somebody uh, tried to do that. And apparently, uh, it is being done even today, even as we speak. There you go. That is uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stuff to start your Wednesday morning. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly sunny today with a high around 80, just a few clouds tonight, a low around 50. The Allen County Sheriff's Office says two inmates escaped from Allen Oakwood Correctional Institution in Lima on Tuesday, one of which was serving time for murder. The inmates are identified as James Lee, 47 years old, brown hair, blue eyes, 300 pounds. Bradley Gillespie is the other inmate, 50 years old, bald, blue eyes, and 200 pounds. Anyone who sees them should not approach, but call 911 immediately. You can see pictures of the escaped inmates and get more information with this story on our website. Bluffton Police Officer Dominic Francis's name has been added to the Hancock County Fallen Officers Memorial at the Fort Finley FOP Lodge. We spoke with Teresa White, Development Director for the Fort Finley FOP Lodge Foundation, after the ceremony. Dominic's death hit our community very hard. We haven't had a fallen officer in Hancock County since the late 1970s when we lost uh, two state highway patrol troopers. So adding his name to the wall was extremely important this year. It was very meaningful for his family and for his colleagues and his extended family who all came out today to unveil his name. We had it hidden until this evening. And Bob Francis and Blake Francis, the father and son of Officer Francis, helped to unveil his name. And you can see video from the ceremony with this story on our website.
Some state lawmakers are proposing a bill that would stop cities from implementing curfews with a few exceptions. The proposal comes after Columbus issued one over the weekend in an effort to curb violence. State representatives say curfews hurt businesses and do, quote, little to actually stop crime. With the new legislation, cities would still be able to impose curfews for those under 18 or in response to a state of emergency. WTOL 11's Amanda Fay reporting. The Ohio Department of Transportation District 1's annual Paint the Plow contest winners are Wyandotte County's Mohawk High School and Hancock County's Corey Rawson High School. Mohawk High School collected the most votes on social media to win the People's Choice Award. Their plow was in honor of Wyandotte County Deputy Daniel Kinn, who died following a crash while on duty in December. Corey Rawson's plow had a safety message on it. One text or call could wreck it all. See pictures of all the plows in the contest on the website. Matt Demchak, 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So now our cover story this morning. It is a big day, the day that nearly every student and many teachers actually look forward to as well. Final day of the school year for Findlay City School students, but it will be a very busy summer. For district officials and interim superintendent Krista Crates Miller is with us on the line this morning to uh, talk more about that. And uh, Krista, first of all, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Um, like we said, this is the day that, that many people uh, look forward to putting the cap, uh, uh, putting the the wrap on a new uh, on a, on another year. Let's first of all kind of recap uh, a bit uh, the the year gone by. I guess the big. Uh, the big thing that happened, and we talked about it back in January when you implemented the uh, new security system uh, across the schools. Um, talk a little bit about how uh, that system has been received and uh, you know the implementation of that across the uh, district. Absolutely. Um, thanks for having us. <clears throat> we always appreciate uh, teaming up with WFIN and sharing the exciting things that we are doing. Um, yeah, so in January, we, we did have a district-wide, all of our staff was trained in the safe defense system as well as run, hide, fight, um, in a, a pretty unique synergy between our emergency responders and the staff of Safety Defend, which did include um, the retired FBI agent that, that offered his, his training to us in the run, hide, fight model. Mm-hmm. Um, and every classroom, every common space in Finley City Schools is equipped with a Safe Defend box, which is a part of the system that is the instant alert to um, provide detailed information if um, there were ever a threat so that teachers can make an educated decision on how to respond, as well as emergency responders have instant access to that same information. Um, It's been very well received. Anything we can do to keep our staff and students safe and our families' peace of mind that we're doing all we can to keep an optimal safety environment is is what we want to do. And this system has certainly provided that. Uh, Obviously, uh, and thankfully, it has not had to be implemented. Uh, We haven't had an incident uh, of that nature, but are you uh, are you satisfied? Are you confident that if th- the worst should happen, that the the staff and and the students would be uh, safe? That this would help keep uh, the uh, students safe? That the that the training has been adequate and that everyone knows uh, how to make use of this system. Yeah, well, certainly we want to always try to better our best, and especially in a situation when it comes to school safety. Right. Um, but I do have full confidence in, in the system itself. I have full confidence in our emergency responders, um, our, our fire department, police department. Everybody has worked together, and um, I, I do have confidence that what we are doing um, is is we're leaving no stone left unturned, and that's what's in our circle of control. Um, you'll notice there's other changes. We've numbered our windows um, based on information from what the police would like from us in order to have instant information for them. So if ever there's something new that comes up that we can do, we are going to be the first to do it. So is that really the the, the focal point this year? I mean, in, in terms of big changes uh, at, the, at the district level, um, I mean, that's that's the only thing that really jumps uh, out at me. Are there other things when you look back and recap the year and, and uh, look back over the, uh, the, the past academic, academic year? Mm, well, you know, I think that's probably the most overt or public um, initiative that we had, but mm-hmm. always we are striving and looking at how we can make adjustments to achieve academic excellence. And there's been 
some infrastructure things that we've looked at, whether it's curriculum through the science of reading, um, whether it's, you know, different positions that can be very intentional, keeping academic excellence on the forefront. Mm -hmm. um, so in addition to school safety, which was a very public um, issue, rightfully so, um, there's also always things beneath the surface that we're doing to to adjust our sales to make certain that we're reaching academic excellence. And with respect to that, that uh, provides a, a good segue into what will be happening behind the scenes over the course of the summer in order to get ready for the fall. Now, I know that there's uh, not really any uh, major shifts in terms of facilities, not building new facilities, not uh, closing down buildings or, or anything like that, but obviously there are always uh, staffing changes and, and uh, redeploying those resources, uh, you know, uh, which positions get replaced from retirement and, you know, all of that sort of thing. So kind of take us through what will be happening over the next couple of months uh, as uh, we get ready for another school year in the fall. Yeah, it'll be here before we know it, although I know everyone's ready to, <laughs> you know, to not probably hear that this particular day. There's always an energy to the first day, but there's also always an energy to the last day. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we have a lot of exciting things beneath the surface in that infrastructure this summer. We're doing a lot of training still with the science of reading, which is very exciting. We have our elementary staff um, that's going to be trained. We're actually reaching beyond what, what the you know, legislation requires in training of the science of reading, which is very important and critical um, that we feel is, is setting us above the rest. And then we're also working on curriculum writing at the um, intermediate, um, at the secondary level, just to make certain that everything's aligned with the, the Ohio um, standards. And um, all that's very exciting work that teachers are willing to come in and take their summer to continue to elevate what we bring to our students in the fall. To be very direct, uh, many times during the uh, quote-unquote off-season uh, between school years, uh, many times districts will make changes based on budgetary concerns, whether that is, again, uh, closing down a building or, or you know, moving students, moving staff around, leaving positions, uh, eliminating positions due to retirement or uh, things of that nature. That is not a concern for Findlay City Schools this year? Um, you know, fiscal, you know, fiscal responsibility is always a concern. Again, that's one of the, the infrastructure um, topics that we keep on the forefront. And we have looked at retirements and, you know, potentially reallocating or restructuring a little bit to become intentional with the idea of and the, the elevating and academic excellence, which has been um, always a focus and being very intentional. But we are not at a point right now. Um, that we are making significant cuts. We want to bring the absolute best to our students, and what brings the absolute best to our students is providing them with the staff to, to elevate everything that we do. So, yes, as we do have some attrition, we're looking at doing some maybe reorganizing to be very intentional with positions, but right now closing buildings, cuts, anything like right. that is not what we're prepared to do. Uh, one of the uh, big projects that is already underway and will be completed before the uh, fall uh, sports season is the uh, installation of turf fields, so those uh, uh, athletic fields uh, there at the uh, right around the high school uh, complex. Uh, that process is already underway. That process is underway, and it's looking good. <laughs> um, and for the uh, for for the summer, for you personally, uh, obviously, you're going to be very busy because we're handing over the reins to a new superintendent. Uh, that was uh, was announced uh, some time back. Uh, talk a little bit about that uh, that process of bringing a new superintendent up to speed and uh, handing over the the reins, uh, as it were, of district leadership. Yeah, it's a very exciting time. We we could not be more thrilled about Dr. Andy Hatton. Um, he comes to us from Upper Arlington, so I think it's um, for those of us that are here continuing the hard hard work that we've done, I think that common thread is important, but I also think a, a fresh look and a new eye is also an important component, and I think Dr. Hatton's going to bring that. Um, I'm very excited about teaming with him to continue, like I said, continue the hard work that we've already done um, and, and to really bring us to the next level of academic excellence. What will that process look like? I, I'm sure that there have been conversations and maybe some meetings over the uh, past several weeks and months uh, since Dr. Hatton's uh, hiring as the uh, next superintendent. So this has been an ongoing process, but what will that look like over the uh, coming weeks? 
talked a couple of times here and there. Um, he will be begin to come into the district um, and, and make that transition. And as he does, we'll continue to meet and um, work together to our bridge, you know, between what we've done and what he wants to bring to the table and where his vision is for FCS. Um, and we'll team very closely this summer with our administrative team to to guide the future and, and launch a and launch a new school year together. Again, a lot of work going to be taking place, as always, behind the scenes uh, mm-hmm. at the Finley City Schools to get ready for a new academic year, even as this school year comes to a close today. The Finley City Schools Interim Superintendent Krista Kreitz-Miller with us uh, this morning. Krista, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Enjoy your summer. Thank you. We appreciate you, and go Trojans. WFIN says thank you for listening. And remember, you can listen around the clock on computer, smartphone, or tablet. Start your day with Chris Oaks and Good Mornings and stay with us all day long. You also get CBS Sports Radio plus all of our locally originated sports programming. Listen live whenever you like at 1330 WFIN, 95.5 FM, and at WFIN.com, where you can also grab our free mobile apps for iOS or Android. You know, that uh, promo there actually speaks to the conversation that we want to have this morning about one of the stories that have been making headlines over the course of the past couple of weeks. The broadcast industry and Washington lawmakers are pushing back against automakers who are removing AM radio from their vehicles. But... As others have argued, is this century-old technology doomed to become extinct anyway? We are joined this morning by Congressman Bob Latta. Uh, Congressman, thanks very much for uh, taking the time uh, this morning. We appreciate it. Um, You were among those uh, who uh, sent a letter to uh, Ford to ask them to reconsider their decision to pull AM radios from their vehicles. Again, as we mentioned, others have argued that we have moved beyond this technology. What is your argument? Well, thanks for having me on this morning, Chris. No, it's important that we keep AM radio. And I I led the letter with uh, over 100 other members of the House, and there's you know action over in the Senate, but mm. I think it's important to point these things out. First of all, there there's an argument out there saying that oh, we don't need AM radio anymore because we you can stream it now. Everything's over the internet. Exactly. I I serve as the chair of the Communications and Technology Subcommittee on Energy and Commerce, and so we have jurisdiction over all of this area. One of the things that I'm always concerned about are cyber attacks. If you shut down uh, the Internet and people aren't able to stream or get this information, how are you going to get it? And so it's important that we have the AM. uh, And just by coincidence, yesterday I had a phone call with uh, folks from our uh, National uh, Disaster Preparedness. And just by coincidence, the gentleman that uh, we needed to speak with was on an inspection out in California of a uh, of a new uh, area that they're put in for this radio station because again under the national public warning system uh, we were able to cover with about uh, 75 stations 90% of the United States and so if in case of an electromagnetic uh, pulse that be either man made or uh, natural to making sure that we can keep uh, our communication system up they've set these sites up at radio stations around the country that they can operate Mm -hmm. in times of emergency. You can't do that with the Internet. Yeah. Uh, Ford has uh, announced uh, just within the past 24 hours uh, that they have reversed their stance uh, on this. So apparently the pressure has worked with respect to Ford anyway. There are other automakers who have not changed their mind on this and, and still... Uh, will remove uh, or plan to remove AM radio from their vehicles, but Ford has relented. But and and I, it should be uh, pointed out, obviously, that we are a heritage AM radio station ourselves, so we have a vested interest here at WFIN. Um, but in the interest of being objective, let me sort of play devil's advocate here. Um, People point out that, as as we mentioned, there are other technologies, more modern technologies that have usurped the usage 
of AM radio. Many of these uh, stations, including our own, have FM signals now. I mentioned the uh, internet stream uh, as well. The argument being that this is low-fidelity, outdated technology that is doomed to obsolescence anyway. Are we just uh, delaying the inevitable? No. And again, uh, a couple of things. Uh, As was pointed out yesterday, Americans shouldn't have to pay for their emergency uh, notifications. And that's something that is broadcast, again, through the A on the AM side uh, because of the signal strength. And again, we're talking about, again, just not on the technology, but also just talking about uh, on the emergency side, not from being able to hear uh, local broadcasts, local football or basketball games, et cetera. But this is something on the national uh, public warning system that's absolutely essential. Because, again, uh, what you're looking at is a certain about 74 physical stations across the country that have this technology that they, they're installing and have installed to make sure that if something happens, and a lot of people don't realize all this planning that's always going on on the emergency side, that in case there is something that happens, that a broadcast can be received. And again, uh, what we're saying on what we never said on in our letter, which is due back on uh, this Friday from the companies that we contacted, and General Motors being the other uh, uh, major U.S. Major car company, maker, yeah. uh, federal and several other uh, European makers. But it's important that again that it's pointed out that people need to receive information in an emergency. And again. Uh, we're under cyber attack in this country. Millions of attacks are going on every day. We saw what happened mm-hmm. with Colonial Pipeline, where the Russians hacked in and they were able to stop the flow. Right. And what, so what happens if uh, there's an attack on the, uh, the, uh, on the broadband side and all of a sudden you can't stream, you can't yeah. get the information that you have to have, all of a sudden your cell phones that you're totally relying on aren't going to do you any good. So right. where do you turn to? Uh, it that's is, where uh, the AM station it comes in and emergency broadcast is absolutely essential. It is uh, certainly a valid point that we don't want to uh, stop the flow of information, uh, to use that turn of phrase. Now, within the past uh, week, week and a half or so, uh, there was uh, bipartisan legislation introduced in both houses of Congress, bipartisan bicameral legislation uh, called the AM for Every Vehicle Act. Uh, with Ford having relented, uh, if other um, uh, car makers do the same and decide to keep uh, their AM radio access in their vehicles, uh, is this something that becomes a moot point, or are you moving forward? Are you planning to move forward with that legislation? As you mentioned, you chair the Subcommittee on Communications and Technology, which is among the committees that's been referred to. Uh, for uh, for markup, um, is this still a relevant piece of legislation? Is it something that you're moving forward with, regardless? Well, I think on the uh, and I haven't read the House bill um, from the uh, member from New Jersey that introduced it, but I believe it mandates it. Uh, we're, we're on ours. We're not mandating anything. We're re- we're asking for them to reconsider, and I'm very thankful that Ford did reconsider their decision. Because, again, this would have affected vehicles starting this fall, uh, rolling out that there would be no AM in either a combustion engine or an electric vehicle. One of the, the argument had been made that, oh, the AM signal would interfere with the, e, the electric uh, vehicles. Or but vice versa. It seems that the, that it seems that the uh, technology uh, that's out there, that they can uh, alleviate that issue. Yeah. And so I, I was, you know, right now uh, with Ford, with their decision, hopefully we'll see other uh, automakers make the same decision, but I'm looking forward to receiving their responses because we ask through our letter that response will be made by this Friday. And, uh, but, but, again, we, we have no mandate, and that's what the other bill would do. I do not think that a mandate would pass the House of Representatives, but I think that... Um, having the information out there for the American people, because, again, a lot of people didn't even realize this was happening, and all of a sudden it just kind of hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's when, you know, uh, I've had uh, many meetings with folks in the, uh, the district and also here in Washington. But, again, uh, I want to uh, uh, lead uh, members out to one of these sites in the Washington area so they can see 
the technology that's there again in a national emergency that we can, uh, or in some, in a, or a natural emergency, yeah. that uh, people can receive that information. Uh, all of the points uh, that you make are certainly uh, good points, valid points, and uh, all are well taken. Yet the fact remains that this is technology that is has remained unchanged for a century, and there are uh, other technologies that most listeners uh, turn to instead uh, to receive many of the same programming and, and other programming. I know in other countries uh, around the world, they have also moved away from AM radio or at the a very minimum, have updated the technology to a digital uh, technology, which improves the fidelity and makes it a, a more attractive alternative uh, for listeners. Is that really what's needed? I mean, again, looking at technology that many people have uh, said for many years is uh, on its way to obsolescence, is what is really needed uh, an update to the technology? Well, you know, I think that, again, if you look at it, uh, again, what's, what's, how can you get it out there? You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, across the country, when you looked at 50,000-watt stations, as they are, you know, and especially when you looked at uh, Cincinnati years ago was one of those stations sure. that looked at that it could cover uh, a huge area of the, of the country, and it even was higher than the 50,000 that it is today. Mm-hmm. And so you want to make sure you have something out there that, uh, again, in an emergency, you know, sometimes old technology is not bad technology. I know that <laughs> and we'll get into Fair all enough. the details, but in, some, in certain uh, areas that have classified uh, and very vulnerable uh, what they do, that they're still using floppy disks. Why is that? Because it can't be hacked. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so I, you know, I've seen certain things out there. It's like you kind of go, "You're kidding me!" Like, nope. Yeah. And it's just like it, it, it runs great, and uh, make sure that you can't be hacked. And again, this is the problem that we have today. The Russians, the, the communist Chinese, are constantly probing us to figure out how they can attack our infrastructure. And, uh, you know, if they can shut something down on a very hot day and strand tens of thousands of people in elevators, it's going to happen. Yeah. And uh, we'll have food rotting and you name it. But, uh, you know, this is, what, this is what's going on. Russia, even if it might not be, quote, unquote, state-sponsored, it's being allowed to happen there mm-hmm. uh, as they attack the United States. And so, but these are all, it's all probing that's going on all the time to find our weaknesses. Uh, I... Obviously, we're going to continue to follow this story, and as we said, we uh, have a vested interest in uh, in this as well. Uh, but I do want to ask you, before we let you go really quickly uh, here, I want to ask you about the ongoing uh, negotiations on the uh, debt ceiling. Uh, Speaker McCarthy has been meeting with uh, President Biden on this uh, issue, but in news reports this morning, it doesn't sound very optimistic that a deal will uh, be reached. How confident are you that uh, Congress and the president can get this done and avoid a debt default here in the next week or so? Well, first of all, you know, the president kept saying for months he wasn't going to negotiate. And if he would have just sat down months ago, we'd, been, we'd be months ahead of where we are. And, uh, you know, the House representatives passed, uh, you know, legislation that was kind of set kind of a parameters out there saying, look, you just spent $5 trillion, you ran inflation up to 9.1%. Interest rates are skyrocketing for Americans. Prices are up. Uh, and plus, we can't keep this up because, you know, we're going to be paying a trillion dollars a year just to pay interest on the debt, at least by 2028. And I'm going to predict it would be 2027. And so just to say, look, we're not cutting. We're, we're putting a 1% growth out there uh, and also making sure that uh, over time we have about a $4.8 trillion re- uh, reduction, mm-hmm. a $4.8 trillion reduction when it comes to overall spending over the next decade. And also, you know, we're saying that, look, if you're receiving benefits, uh, you know, you ought to have some work requirements uh, along with that. And so I think those are the top points right now. I know we had, uh, we also passed our, our energy bill along with it. But, uh, you know, we're, we're just looking at right now saying that we've got to get the spending under control. But 
the president and the Democrats would say, no, 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 we want to keep spending, and it's just like you can't buy votes. And so, uh, it's time that uh, you have to do what you do at home. You have to tighten the belt, and it's got to happen quickly. And I'm hoping, because we have a 72-hour rule now, so let's just say Jen, uh, the Secretary of Treasury now says, Yellen, that uh, it's the, the default date is June 1st. Mm-hmm. Well, just because we can't say we're going to be negotiating on June 1st. Right. We have to have a bill passed on June 1st, right. which means that's 72 hours time before is, that. Time is uh, so absolutely. So the president doesn't understand this, and he's got to understand that I've uh, got to, for something to happen beforehand, we've got to get it done. I've got to stop there because we are absolutely out of time. But again, doesn't sound uh, like uh, there's a whole lot of optimism right now on Capitol Hill. Congressman Bob Latta, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Well, of course, summer is the season of bumps and bruises and cuts and scrapes. And with many families being increasingly cognizant of and cautious about the types of products they use in their home, there is increased demand for natural ingredients in first aid care as well. So joining us today is New York Times bestselling author, radio host, and New York City emergency room physician, Dr. Billy Goldberg. Uh, Dr. Goldberg, these are our so-called clean label products. What exactly does that mean? Yeah, good morning to you. Uh, yep, clean label. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's, people are looking at labels and they want to know what's in it. So they don't want to see all these complex chemicals, uh, words they can't recognize, words they can't pronounce, whether it's a food, a healthcare product, a, a beauty product. They want to see natural, minimally processed, no additives, artificial preservatives, words you can recognize, pronounce, maybe even stuff that's already in your own kitchen. And I think that's what a lot of companies are moving towards, kind of simpler, more natural, clean products. So, as we mentioned, an increasing consumer demand for this, whenever you have demand, somebody is going to step up and and provide this, but that raises the big question, uh, are these natural ingredients in first aid care are they safe and are they effective? Yeah, you know, that's a, a great question because this is a big business. They say there's going to be $64 billion business in 2026, this clean label ingredients across the board. And a lot of people who just want to make money will make false claims. So right. I, I want people to be cautious of any, uh, any person who's screaming about a miracle cure. But there are things that have been used for a really long time. You know, aloe vera is a medicinal plant that's been around for a long time. Um, baking soda is another thing. Um, we use it in the hospital, and some companies are actually trying to use these in small amounts in a clean way, a simple way, and they're not making any crazy claims, and they're not using them in any invasive way, and I think that's what people should look for. Now, that's why I ended up uh, working with Curad, because they're reliable. They've been making bandages since 1951. They're not looking to make crazy claims about this. They want to integrate these natural ingredients because people want them into their products. So they created a line called Curet Naturals. They're bandages that are infused with Arm & Hammer baking soda. There's another one that's infused with uh, aloe vera. They also have a little bit of vitamin E on the pad. And the aloe vera is actually on the pad and then all around on the fabric backing. And these are good ways to take care of like the simple small injuries that you have. Major injuries, you come to me in the ER... The small stuff you can manage at home in a in a kind of a a comforting, simple way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just to be clear, uh, because I want to make sure that that people understand this, is there any regulation, any assurances for consumers that the ingredients in a product, because like you said, there, uh, it, it's gonna it's a big industry and it's a growing industry, so that is going to attract people making all kinds uh, of claims. Is there any regulation, any assurances for consumers that number one, the ingredients in a product are what they claim to be, and number two, again, going back to that safety and efficacy uh, of any claims uh, that a product may make. Yeah, you know, that's the problem with this uh, this industry, um, and we see it, and we're concerned about it as ER doctors for some poisonings because products people think because they make these claims, and they're not regulated in the same way by the FDA. Yeah. I think that's why you want to look for companies that are established and reliable and have a track record of producing products that are safe. I, I, again, I'm a less is more person, so 
I want to stress that if you have a bad burn, a bad wound, you should be seeing your doctor. But for the simple cuts and scratches and scrapes that happen, and again, inevitably will happen uh, to everybody, there's simple ways that people can take care of it with products that are, you know, tried and true. They've been around for a long time. Aloe vera is well, a medicinal plant that's been studied. Yeah. And is, you know, it has anti-inflammatory, antibacterial properties. It's a, you know, it's been around for a long time. Yeah, you mentioned a, a couple of specific products or, or ingredients in products. Uh, and again, because there are a lot of claims out there, and, and like you said, it's not as tightly regulated as, say, uh, the, the pharmaceutical industry would be. Uh, are there other ingredients that we should look for in these natural first aid products? You know, the, 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 the simplest stuff is often the best. So you get an injury, you get a scrape, a cut, a wound, wash it out with soap and water. You know, stay away from these antibacterial stuff. You don't really need that. You need a good volume of clean, soapy water, a little pressure on the wound, you clean it off, and then you just want to protect it. Our skin is a natural barrier to infection. So once you break the skin, you just want to keep stuff from getting in it. So that's why uh, a bandage will create that protective barrier. Um, antibiotic ointments people talk about a lot, all that does is create a protective barrier. And you can do that with some of these simple products like an aloe vera infused bandage. And they're comfortable, they're soothing. Um, you know, there's other stuff out there, hydrogen peroxide people have in their house. There's a lot of other stuff that people can use. But again, the the message, and I think I, this may be the, the biggest takeaway here, is in most cases... Uh, simple is is best. You don't have to uh, get very elaborate or fancy on this. No, again, there's a lot of people who are trying to make money off you. Right. I'm a less is more person. I like simple, clean stuff. Um, that's and, why I felt comfortable with Purad and their, and their products. Like, and, again, check it all out. Purad.com is a great resource for people to look at stuff. They can see the products on Walmart.com. Go to Amazon and check them out for yourself. I have them in my medicine cabinet. Um, I feel comfortable with them. And avoid all of the uh, uh, wild claims uh, that for miracle cures, things like that. So things keep in mind to head into uh, summer scrape season uh, for yourself and for your kids. Again, uh, Dr. Billy Goldberg, uh, New York City emergency room physician, New York Times bestselling author and radio host. Dr. Goldberg, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. So you may have heard about this uh, story in the regular news uh, over the past uh, several months about uh, Hyundai vehicles that apparently there's a glitch in the software makes them very easy to steal. If someone knows how to, to do it, they can use like the USB port to start the vehicle, even without the, the key, uh, and, and make off with the, uh, with the vehicle. And this has been an ongoing problem. Hyundai uh, has, uh, has fixed. Apparently, they have a fix uh, for the vehicle, but uh, not all of the vehicles affected by this have been fixed. Well, uh, in Charles County, Maryland, they had a story of uh, some stolen Hyundai vehicles, but with a twist. Here is the story. Uh, police in Charles County, Maryland, arrested two adults and four juveniles who were on a joyride together in a stolen Hyundai vehicle. Began when police spotted the pilfered cars at a business in Waldorf, Maryland, as the officers, uh, officers initiated a traffic stop. Uh, the uh, vehicle fled the scene, uh, igniting a chase before they were eventually apprehended. The two adult culprits found themselves facing charges of theft, unauthorized vehicle use, and um, uh, eluding police and, and so on. The four juvenile accomplices were charged uh, as, as juveniles set to be released to the custody of their parents. And that's when it gets a little bit weird. This is the kicker. When the parents or guardian of the uh, juveniles arrived at the police station to pick up the juvenile offenders, they arrived in another stolen vehicle. (laughs) The, the, The person, the guardian of the juveniles showed up to pick them up from the police station in another stolen vehicle. 
And now you know where they get it from. Um, the uh, the that vehicle was uh, later recovered, uh, apparently after police discovered that that was a stolen vehicle as well. Uh, they tried to uh, take off and nearly struck an officer. But everybody has been reapprehended. They're taking a second look at this bizarre case. That's a twist. Mm. All right. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news this morning, the odd and unusual side of the headlines. Speaking of uh, weird thefts, uh, a woman clad in a dazzling pink dress caused all kinds of uh, ruckus in uh, in Polk County, Florida, uh, leaving a trail of bewildering thefts in her wake, according to the story. According to the Polk County, Florida Sheriff's Office, uh, this uh, woman uh, who is identified only as Jamie, that's her first name, Jamie, last name not given, apparently Jamie made off with a $120,000 John Deere tractor, and that was just for starters. After being detained by the farmer who owned the uh, tractor, authorities arrived and arrested Jamie. Not only was she looking stylish in her dazzling pink dress, She was also found to be in possession of other people's credit and debit cards, social security cards, a driver's license, and a dental plan card. (laughs) Make off with all of the stuff and don't forget the dental plan card. Gonna need that. Uh, (laughs) In addition to stealing a tractor, committing burglary, or committing battery on a deputy, and carrying a concealed weapon, just for good measure... Jamie also damaged a fence, damaged a vehicle, committed burglary, threatened a deputy, stole numerous items, and much, much more, according to the post online from the Polk County Sheriff's Office. In fact, they went on to say, at last count, Jamie was facing uh, three misdemeanor charges and a whopping 35 felonies, with more possible. Uh, Some of the charges in the case, grand theft, burglary of an unoccupied dwelling, unlawful unlawful possession, possession of a concealed weapon, and uh, battery on a law enforcement officer. So, that's what you call a full rich day. (laughs) Jamie woke up one morning and said, how much trouble can I get into in one 24-hour period? Uh, you remember the story that we had a couple of days ago, I think it was, about the woman's wedding ring that was recovered after being missing for 13 years or something like that? Um, she had lost it, uh, in the sewer or whatever, and it finally turned up amazingly and, or not an engagement ring, it was a, uh, an anniversary ring it was, but it was missing like forever. Well, here's another story of a similar nature. A Southern California mom lost her engagement ring when her kid flushed it down the toilet. (laughs) John and Yana Glass were unable to recover the ring, and plumbers that they called in said that they would not be able to dislodge it without causing significant damage to the home. So uh, Yana thought that this thing's lost forever. But nearly 14 months later, the ring turned up uh, just 400 feet away from their home during a routine sewer maintenance project. The Public uh, Works Department at Chino Hills in Southern California, uh, worker Tony Ochoa, remembered that the couple had lost their ring the previous year. He had heard about this. And uh, when they found it during this routine maintenance project, He decided to grab it, thoroughly cleaned it, and returned it to the couple. Uh, Yana expressed her gratitude for the uh, works department uh, worker, uh, Tony Ochoa, for remembering the uh, incident and getting the ring back to its rightful owner. That's awesome. Kudos to you. Uh, Let's see. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, a Louisville man is being accused... Of shooting his roommate, police have arrested 64-year-old Clifton Williams, um, <laughs> who shot his roommate, and the excuse that he gave, <laughs> apparently his roommate uh, crossed Mr. Williams by eating the last Hot Pocket in the apartment. 
Yeah, I shot my roommate. He ate the last Hot Pocket. Well, if there's justification, if there's ever a case of a justifiable shooting. <laughs> Officials believe Mr. Williams started throwing tiles at the man before getting a gun and uh, fixing the problem once and for all. Uh, the roommate taken to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries, Mr. Williams, has been charged with assault, for starters. <laughs> but he'll never eat the last Hot Pocket again, that's for darn sure. <clears throat> and uh, also in the uh, broken news this morning, I have a couple of viral videos. Uh, one is from Bakari Agaro. Uh, created a TikTok video showing himself eating, entering someone's home without their permission. See, this is the thing. We are doing anything now for TikTok fame. This was in London, uh, where police have launched an investigation and have now arrested uh, Mr. Agaro and a teenager on suspicion of creating a nuisance. Um... Well, apparently the person in custody, it's unclear whether it is Mr. Garo or whether it's a, an accomplice. Uh, in the video, Mr. Garo and his friends walk into a home, not theirs, plop themselves down on the sofa, and uh, that was the uh, video. Admittedly, broke into somebody's home. That's, are you doing anything for internet fame now? And... Uh, a much more innocuous uh, video here. This one <laughs> uh, also on uh, TikTok, I believe. This was on, uh, or no, this was on Twitter. A uh, video of a woman <laughs> attempting to fuel up her Tesla at a gas station. <laughs> it's gone viral. Uh, she said she had simply forgotten that her car did not take gas. She said it was the end of a long day. Uh, the car is brand new. I just got it. And honestly, wasn't even thinking. I just rolled up to the gas station thinking about what I was going to get uh, inside. I was going to go inside and get something to drink, something to snack on. And wasn't even thinking about the fact that my car doesn't actually need gas. <laughs> Pulled right up to the gas pumps and then realized that the car doesn't need gas. The video has generated millions of views on social media and even got a response from Elon Musk himself, who tweeted... Old habits die hard. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that is, that's getting internet fame for the wrong reasons. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When you're behind the wheel, it's okay to rock out to your music, but it's not okay to interact with your phone screen and electronic devices while driving. In most cases, anything more than a single touch or swipe is against the law. That means no texting, no typing, no scrolling, no shopping, no browsing. If an officer sees a violation, they can pull you over. So remember, Ohio, phones down. It's the law. So, as we were mentioning a little bit earlier, final day for Finley City School students. I think all of the county students are either already out or will be out this week. So And next week. Mine might go to next Thursday. They're going into uh, next yes, week. Yes, they go to Liberty okay. Benton. So, there's a few, few next week. Yes, the yes. countdown is on. I, I lose track of these things because my kids are older now. And yes. so, I don't have to pay attention to these things like I did. We, we <laughs> keep track ago. of everybody's when they're starting in break just so we right. know. If there's students off sure. during a day, then we can do programming and stuff. Exactly. So, yeah. I'm aware of everybody. What's yeah. right. What's so, uh, but it's coming up. And uh, we're into the final uh, few days anyway for uh, students and yes. summer vacation starting. And so, that yeah. means it is time to get out into the great outdoors. Uh, Michelle Rumschlag is here from the Hancock Park District to talk about what's happening in the month of June. Before we get to June, yes. uh, this weekend, um, I guess this is you know one of the big summertime indicators. You know that summertime is here when the uh, Zonta Landing boat rentals reopen. Right. We'll be open um, all weekend. So Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, of course, on Memorial Day, mm -hmm. um, one until seven. Um, cash or check. $5 for half an hour. And then we do have that special float trip option 
that'll take you as close as you can get to the 568 bridge. I think the water level, I think we're normal, but it gets pretty low there and stuff. Okay. So that's, you know, $10 for kayak, $20 for canoe and, and double kayaks. And, you know, that's a, it's a great thing if you are looking for something to do on a lazy day on the weekend or, you know, a long holiday weekend right. and you've got a, an hour or two to kill. Right. And then, of course, we have our pedal boats, too, um, that ta- and those just kind of hang around. You don't go upriver mm-hmm. with those. Those yeah. just hang around the old reservoir area. Right. I mean, and a lot of people... Um, you know, will come out and like, I've never tried it before. Oh, I've never been in a kayak, but they're willing to go out. Yeah. And some of them just meander, you know, don't even go, you know, on the float. They just kind of hang around <laughs> and, and, and for $5, I mean, you can't really, sure. you know, provoke, can't really beat that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be great. It's first come, first serve. So I know the weekend, it's looking really nice weather-wise. Very no nice, rain, yeah. doesn't seem to be too hot. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're excited to be open. We do have two new double kayaks. Um, so, okay. and those are very popular. We only have two. So we, we replaced the two, um, that we had last year, but again, plenty of singles, you know, so if you looking for something to do again, this go. holiday weekend, uh, one o'clock last rental at six thirty. So, um, at, uh, we'd Z- love to see you down there at Riverside Park. Yeah. Zonta landing at uh, Riverside Park. Uh, couple of things to make mention of that are coming up here. Uh, first of all, uh, the Peter Rabbit tea. Yes, and so just want to let everybody know, um, go on HancockParks.com. Of course, our summer camps have been advertised since since early spring, mm-hmm. but now we have our summer programming on there. So June, July, August, you can go on the calendar and check that out. And then shortly we'll have, we also put like a little PDF on there that will list like all of the June programs, kind of one-stop shopping. Okay. And so that will be on there um, on the website shortly. But yes, so Monday, June 5th, um, it's our 21st annual Peter Rabbit Tea. Um, this year we're going to be reading the story of Jeremy Fisher and a little different this year. So I've been saying, remember, Litzenberg's going to be closed June 1st, um, for the summer and early fall for our big repaving project. So does yes. that mean the, the entire park is the closed? The entire park is entire closed. Entire park is right? closed. They will not okay. let you in. Right. So that, so we won't be doing McKinnis House programs. There's okay. no rentals in the barn, no hiking or anything. Okay. Um, at least until probably mid-September, if not later. Depends on weather and everything. So yeah. we're not doing any programming um, until probably later in the fall. So we moved it over to uh, River Recreation Area. So we're going to do the tea inside the lodge. Okay. We're going to read inside the little gazebo there. We're going to use the Lakefront Activity Center. Um, we'll have some little kid fishing, not in the lake, but we have some little, you know, little pool that we have. Okay. So we have tea times at 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock that Monday. It's ages 4, 5, and 6 with an adult. Um, no other age siblings um can attend and it's just four dollars per child adults don't need to register and we just need you to register by uh next friday uh june 2nd and we do have a couple people already signed up again this just kind of went on last week so definitely you know i portray beatrix potter and so we get stuff it's just a fun little activity that parents grandparents get to do with uh those four five and six year olds and then uh afterwards maybe hang out in the park and just have make a day out of it so, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on in the uh, month of June that we need to make mention of? On Tuesday, uh, June 6th, we have a late migration bird hike, and this is going to take place um, out at Riverbend Recreation Area. You're going to meet out at Shelter 3. They're in the Big Oaks Activity Center at 630. And this is going to be for, um, for adults, ages 16 and up. And so, again, spring migration is kind of at its end um, but you know, I'm not sure what other birds might be, might be coming through. So again, you might look for some warblers, including American red starts, um, red eyed vireos, scarlet tanagers and those things. So okay. it's definitely getting more, um, vocal out there. So yeah. I said the birds that come in then either migrate through or that are summer residents. So they've, okay. they've, you know, migrate winter somewhere else, but they're staying here and nesting here. And so definitely a lot of activity going on. Okay. Um, so Again, Tuesday, June 6th at 6.30 there at Shelter 3 okay. uh, for a bird hike. Uh, let's see here. As you mentioned, uh, Litzenberg is closed. Litzenberg is we'll closed, be closed, right? Uh, so make note of that uh, for the uh, summer. But we'll be reopened hopefully by the fall. That would be perfect timing yes. because it really gets pretty out there in the fall. Right. So then we are going to be pausing also then like our our annual autumn fest. Again, because we're not sure when the park's going to be open. So okay. that's something that will not be happening this year just okay. because... 
mention mention that not just for the benefit of those who might ordinarily visit, yeah. but also, uh, as you mentioned, the barn rentals are not available. That's going to mean right. one less facility uh, for rental. And we mentioned summer rentals uh, right. for that sort of thing really starting to get scarce, I would imagine. Right. It, so we still have, well, just the barn and the shelter also at, at Listenburg. So right. we still have the Waterfalls Pavilion that we are in charge of at Riverside Park. And then all the shelters in the Brueggemann Lodge there at um, at Riverbend. And so definitely something, again, it's year-to-date. But, yeah, if you're looking to do something this summer, I mm-hmm. know the weekends, um, sometimes those shelters are hard to come by. So yeah. definitely get that uh, sooner than later. Yeah, do yep. that. And uh, you mentioned summer camp uh, registration continues, but not a whole lot of Not space. a whole lot, no. A lot of our one-day camps are already filled. Some of our smaller-aged uh, camps are filled. So we just have a few things um, and I think mostly for the older kids, I think a lot okay. of them are kind of nine and up at this point, but there's a few, but check out the stuff now. So we, maybe you missed out on camp, but we do have other activities and classes for those younger age kids. So yeah. maybe you can't go to camp, but we've got things, not just for kids, but for all ages. Yeah. That the whole family. And as you mentioned, the entire schedule for June, July, August is up there now. Yes. Yep. Hancockparks.com. Very good. Uh, we have the link up at our webpage, goodmornings.net. Again, uh, Michelle Rumschlag from the uh, Hancock Park District talking about things coming up in the month of June and throughout the summer with the Hancock Park District. Michelle, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks again to all of our guests for joining us on the program. And once again, remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net is our little corner of the World Wide Web, so check us out online. You can also connect with us on social media. There's a link there to email us if there's something you want to share directly. Sign up for our daily email newsletter and more, all at goodmornings.net. So with that, until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.